You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Yes, by request, but also from our hearts. The Finnick Fox this week. It is fantastic. And Chris, I have to... What can they teach us? This is what blew me away. And I didn't really... Again, an adaptation to desert life. They don't drink. They, they can go their whole lives without drinking from a stream or from an oasis. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And Angie, this is the cutest little thing I think we've covered yet. Yes, by request, but also from our hearts. The Finnick Fox yeah. this week. It is uh, fantastic. And Chris, I have to say, I always put one or two photos on my show notes just to mm-hmm. help me with the descriptions and just also to be a reminder of what the animal looks like, especially if they're one that's extra charming to me. I have like six photos. I couldn't control myself. I couldn't stop <laughs> screenshotting them and putting them on my slides and show notes because everyone, I'm like, oh, that's a really cute one. Oh, wait. Oh, no, that one's even cuter. Oh, look at that expression. So, yes, uh, the Phoenix uh, Fox be, is just amazing. It has, to be, it has to be the cutest thing. Like even the adults look like little baby animals. They are amazing and some amazing physiology we're going to cover some amazing stuff with them so we're going back to africa again angie and last night i I saw the lion king finally and it's only been out a week but we went and it was like i was nudging julie i'm like oh we covered that one oh we covered that one that one that one we covered that one oh we we haven't covered the warthog yet oh you're that guy (laughs) you're 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 that guy at the theater but i feel you i I do no. no I uh, Xander has a predator book that we rented from the library, borrowed from the library, yeah. and as we're going through, I'm like, oh yep, we did that one. Oh yep, but then I'm also like, oh no, we need to do that one. And so no, no, right, I, I, I'm right, that girl right. as well. But yeah, and yes, but we are those people. In fact, last night I was uh, animal dorking out with my friend's 18 uh, year old son about uh, chameleons and mm-hmm. iguanas and then of course we got an octopus and then my, my girlfriends were just like get out of here like we're going we're leaving <laughs> you guys are the biggest dorks ever and anyway it was this really funny moment because i realized wow people that love to talk about animals are a little dorky <laughs> we are dorky <laughs> in a really we good are, way we are oh my goodness well we have to do warthog that's the one we haven't really covered pumbaa well, and I'd like to do Red River Hog as well, because I, I got to meet some of them behind right. the scenes, and they're fantastic. Right, right. We can maybe t- uh, tie those two together. But we did, you know, we did do Meerkats. That's on our Patreon uh, page for our Patreon supporters. We did, like, the lines and everything. 
So anyways, today, you know, I was visiting with uh, the staff at the LA Zoo and we were laughing about the movie, how amazing some of the behavior was that they captured. And it was good. Go see it. The The animals are stunning. I mean, stunning and the cinematography, you know, it was a stunning movie. You know, great story as always, but it, it, it was fantastic. And I was proud of us because I'm like, we've covered so many species that I was actually telling the people today at the LA Zoo, I was like, we have to look at a different continent because we've covered most of the big ones in Africa. <laughs> so we got to like focus on No, Africa is the motherland. I love it there. I'm going there in October. I so. know. I, know. I'm so I don't think I'll be able to see any fennec foxes though. I don't think no. I will be. I'll be no. further south. Honey badger. Honey badger. Look for honey mm-hmm. badger. We can help. <laughs> so, Black rhino. That's- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So again, housekeeping real quick, you know, check us out on Patreon. Meerkats are on there. Again, please share this episode, uh, especially this one. This one would be just a fantastic episode on the Fennec Fox, you know, on social media with your friends. You know, we need to keep growing this community. You know, I really feel like we're, we're doing good through our listeners, our interaction with our listeners, and really the All Creatures family is growing. So thank you for listening and being part of that. One last major amount announcement, and I did an interview that originally Angie was supposed to do, but she's so busy in Michigan picking blueberries that and eating them <laughs> and eating them. <laughs> that lots uh, and lots and lots of them. My mom, my my mom thinks I need an intervention. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. But I happily stepped in because we nabbed an amazing interview with Dr. Greg Rasmussen on the African painted dogs. And Angie actually had him tagged a month ago to interview him, but he had to cancel real quick. He's like, I got to run back to the field because he's out in the field. Yeah. He's got to be in the bush. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And honestly, he's the Jane Goodall of African painted dogs. Like just, Oh, for sure. He is the Jane Goodall. And I, I just, we've had so many good interviews Interviewed so many people around the world. Angie, this one by far was my favorite. I barely spoke. Wow. That's I so barely cool. Spoke. And Yay. after over an hour, I was like, Greg, I don't want to let you go, but <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's over an hour and I know you're going to do stuff. And he just came out of the bush. He's like, I just got back, had to shower, hadn't showered in 20 something days. I ho- hopefully we're going to get this interview out as fast as we can. I have to, you know, turn it around, get it edited, and get it sent to him in Africa. And then when he gives us the thumbs up, we're releasing it at the, the, the first available date. Just wow, those and I, and I bring it up because the Fennec Fox, another canid. So many amazing things I learned from him. Uh, it, it's we got to go to Africa, Angie. We got to go to Zimbabwe and see him. We have to. Let's just let's go. <laughs> let's go. Sounds like a wonderful plan to me. And I hope in the interview, you guys got to cover a lot about wild dog hunting behavior and answer some of my dying questions about how they communicate with one another. So Angie, you gave me a list of like 15 questions you sent to him. I think he threw those out his tent because he, <laughs> he, he, that doesn't mean we, we, we didn't cover that. But like I said, he didn't want to talk about himself. I actually, we just started talking and I had to press record and say, hey, Greg, real quick, I got to do the intro. Like, you know, so. Yeah, That's amazing. cool. No, it'll be super organic. But if, if I, well, here's the deal. If it's he doesn't answer the, the question, hunting, it's if it's, it's not, 
We all call him back. No, <laughs> it's it it is in there. It is in there. That that's okay. part of it. Or there. he I, can I, just bring us there to see it in person. Maybe that yeah. might be the best solution to the problem. Their behavior, oh, it, it, that's all he talked about pretty much. Just their behavior and conservation and the struggles and and how they've really recovered. How he single handedly has helped. Sure, you know them recover uh, just there in Zimbabwe and around. So. Amazing interview. Look for that one. You, it's a it's a don't miss. It's a don't miss. You have to listen to it. And, you know, so to Fennec Fox, what, you know, how they survive, it's going to amaze you. So stay tuned for some of that. These things, you just look at our the, the front of our cover album this week. It'll melt your heart. It'll just melt your heart. Here I'm looking at the picture and I'm like, I just want to hold that little thing so much. All six of mine that I'm looking at right now, let alone the videos and all of that. So describing these things, it's just, oh. They're like a fuzzy chihuahua. Yes, that's it. That's it. With big, big, big ears. Big ears. That's it. it. uh, The energy of a teenage ferret. I mean, a really delicate pointy face. Uh and almost, of course, that fox-like, sly, sweet kind of conniving smile. And then all of that coupled with the fact that it's teensy-weensy, tiny. It's the smallest species of fox. And I guess I was thinking, oh, it's the size of a cat. No, no, no. It's about the size of a kitten. Yeah. One to three pounds, right? Yeah, yeah, t- yeah. One to three pounds. I mean, you're talking 14, 16 inches long. So, th- you know, that that's 35, 40 centimeters. Now, they do have a long tail, yes. you know, which we'll get to the purpose of the tail. But that can be almost eight, 12 inches long that are 30 centimeters. But yeah, weigh two to three pounds max, one to one and a half kilograms. Tiny, tiny. tiny. Palm of your hand, tiny. Like, yeah, I mean, eh, a little bit bigger. But these ears are just adorable, humongous. And we'll talk about their physiology and why they evolved to have such amazing, humongous, bat-like ears. And of all fox species, mm-hmm. it's the largest eared body ratio, even over the yeah. bat-eared fox. I know. And the ears are about six inches long. Yeah. So you, their body's 12 inches long. Right. You do the math. Yeah. <laughs> and their ears. Yeah. Yeah. Their yeah. ears for days, ears for days. But they're just in their coloring uh, because of where they live in the Sahara Desert. They're sandish, sandy, light brown, cream in color. And the fur is thick and silky. Like I said, they're sand or some call it buff colored on the dorsal side. And then white along the animal's legs and then there's some white face markings and then along the ear linings and of course on the underside very pleasing for me to the eye I'm, i love you know i just love the color and i love the look uh and of course individually speaking they can have a few different high points some of them have a little bit of a black high point on the uh tip of their tail and then sometimes towards uh, the, and then also some have a black marking on the, almost where the base of the tail is. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that area's functions. And I learned, I learned a lot today. And you were talking about their range and you're right. Sahara desert. So North Africa, they actually bleed into a little bit of the Arabian peninsula. Well, I was going to say you've been to Egypt, but that's in their yes. range. Right. Right. 
that's the only place in Africa that I've been is Egypt. So I need to get to the other half of the continent. You do, but that <laughs> Egypt soon. is on my bucket list. As much as I love wildlife, I also love uh, ruins. And I've got to sp- uh, yeah, I've got to spend a lot of time in Peru and in mm-hmm. Mexico doing Aztec and Mayan ruins. And so Egypt is would be huge for me. Yeah, Cairo was a, ma- a beautiful, amazing people. Uh, very, very awesome host. Would love to go back. So the Fennec Fox, you're looking for Morocco, Western Sahara, Martinea. So that's the West Coast over on the Atlantic side, all the way across North Africa through the Sahara Desert. Then, you know, through Israel, Jordan, and into Saudi Arabia. That's where they Oh, they are. do they do extend that far east. They do. So they they, they kind of do. I've seen different, like their habitat might be a little bit diminished there, but they do uh, get a little bit into the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, I did do a little digging because, I, you know, I, I thought it'd be worthwhile to kind of talk about the Sahara Desert. I mean, you're talking about one of the most harshest environments on the planet, but it's only the second largest desert on Earth. I'm going to quiz Angie real, real quick. Can you guess the largest desert on Earth? Ooh, I feel like that's a trivia question I've probably missed before playing Trivia Pursuit, which probably a lot of people don't even know what that game is. But (laughs) I think I know, and I'm going to guess Antarctica. Ah, Dr. Angie in the house. How'd you know that? That's good. Good. You're right. That's right. Mama's got letters behind her name. She's smart. Make sure we tell John that. So yeah, Antarctica. I, I was like, oh wait, you're right. Antarctica is a because desert. the trick of it is you think it has to do with the heat, but it's mm-hmm. actually lack of rainfall is what makes it a desert. Right, right. And it's too cold the rain in Antarctica. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so it's the second largest desert on Earth, but it's huge. It's huge. Right. Massive. Now the the desert range is it's quite a bit. So they have the sand dunes, what they call ergs. Stone plateaus or hamadas, gravel plains, dry valleys, the wadis, salt flats. So very, you know, it's not just dirt. You know, it's different. It does have some differences. Now, did they, they did say, reading about this, that the northern and southern portions of the Sahara actually has more rainfall and a little bit more vegetation than, say, okay. the middle part. The middle part that makes the sense, yeah. Very little rain, like you just said, less than 25 millimeters and, you know, even less than five millimeters in some portions. In the east. You so, know yeah. when they're measuring rain in millimeters? In millimeters? <laughs> oh, <much>. that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's it, something. Yeah. It, yeah. And the pattern is like, there's no pattern to it. It just, you know, some years. Oh, there's, there's no not rain. like a predictable season or no. time of year or anything like that. Okay. Then yeah. all of a sudden you just have this huge storm come in and then it fills like, the aquifers and you get those oases and things like that. You know, it's just, it's just, there's no really rhyme or reason. Now today it occupies about 10% of Africa total. So one tenth is the Sahara desert. Annual average temperatures above 30 degrees Celsius or 86 degrees Fahrenheit, which you wouldn't mm-hmm. think would be too bad, right? No, that sounds reasonable. Okay. Well, in the hottest months, it gets 50 degrees Celsius or 122 degrees Fahrenheit. So. I changed my mind. <laughs> and that's during the day. Now, at night, it falls below freezing. If anybody that lives in the desert, like here in California, we're a desert. You go inland. Today, it was you know 100 degrees Fahrenheit. 
tonight it's going to be in the, the 50s or 60s. It drops and it drops drastically. Um, it's just the way it is. So there in the Sahara, they, they go anywhere from minus, it's like zero C or 32 degrees Fahrenheit up to 100, 122 in the daytime. So it fluctuates crazy. So think about that. This. That okay. that's yeah, that's too much for me. Mm-mm. That is a huge. Swing. I like to acclimate gradually, right? And and we're humans, right? We have abilities to wear clothes or build fires, things like that. I'm thinking it from the animal's perspective. Okay, so think about this from the fennec fox perspective. 122 degrees in the day, 30 degrees at night. Yeah, and that's Fahrenheit. So 50 to zero for, for our international friends that, that do Celsius. Yeah. So they have some so, really cool adaptations to be able to live there. Right. Right. So that's why I brought it up. Now, I, the one point I did want to make about the Sahara and scientists have measured this is the effects of global warming. And this gets a little bit scary. South of the, so the Sahara is, goes all the way to the Mediterranean. Like it, you know, it goes through Libya and that's all desert up until the Mediterranean. South of that, it the Sahara Desert is growing and it's growing rapidly and due to global warming. So right now, 1.5 million hectares of land each year is becoming barren as the Sahara expands. So that is part of this desertification that we've talked about off and on in the past couple of years of what's going on around the world with climate change. So you're losing not only habitat for species talk about farmland for those people that live there you know sure yeah they can't grow crops they can't raise animals to eat like it's it's a it's a global crisis people like this is real this is happening today so again and it's it's happening you know here in in the western hemisphere for you know where we are in, in the americas it's happening in asia it's happening in africa so again, something we need to, to monitor and, and, and bring up. Now, how does all this affect the fennec fox? I think they're doing okay. I mean, global warming, I think they're doing okay. It hasn't gotten too extreme, which we know with global warming, just a quick review, I'm sorry. The, the temperature fluctuations that we're seeing the most extreme right now today is at the poles. That's why we're worried about sea ice you know, and down in Antarctica, losing uh, masses of ice sheets and things like that. That's where we're seeing the massive fluctuation, not at the equatorial plane. So I think the fennec fox is doing okay today. Yes. Yeah. Actually with the IUCN, they're a least concerned species. Yeah. So that's always good news when we're learning about these species. Right. Because most of ours are suffering. So (laughs) it's good to have one that's (laughs) not. And, you know, again, He's not only the cutest animal, just one of the cutest animals on the planet, but they are critical to the desert ecosystem, right? So, you know, they, they have a huge role in the ecology of the desert. Oh, absolutely. They're predators. And so, therefore, they can reduce the number of small mammals, birds, reptiles, insects. We'll talk a lot more about that in nutrition. And, of course, other terrestrial invertebrates that nobody really wants to be in their house. And it has been documented that they can strip leaves off of scrub vegetation, but there's really no evidence of whether or not this is either beneficial or harmful to the plant. So they do have that role. Uh, But a lot of what we'll touch on today too, especially when we get to my section, my baby, the behavior, 
there's still a lot of unknowns about Finnick Fox in the wild, probably because those grad students aren't signing up to uh, spend their time <laughs> in the Sahara <laughs> studying them, even though they're super cute. Uh, no, I don't know if that's, it's probably obviously usually when it's not about the money, it's about the money. So it probably is funding related. Um, and also they're nocturnal too. So they're another one of those harder species to studies. But also when we look, speaking of the money, when we look at from a human perspective of economical impacts, the Finnick Fox is distributed throughout many accredited zoos, and some people choose to have them as pets. And whenever Chris and I talk about exotic species as pets, uh, we always want to point out that it's usually not the best idea mm-hmm. and to do your homework before you do anything that's not been domesticated. Uh, they have, we'll get into a lot of their behaviors, but living in a desert and having to work very hard to find whatever little food you can find mm-hmm. and being nocturnal doesn't always make them be the best pet, uh, let alone that foxes are known to have, do a lot of scent marking and have scent glands and the scent is not super wonderful smelling. Right. So, but anyway, you look at it, they're definitely a house favorite, whether they are under human care at a zoo or if they are as a personal pet. Um, and it is interesting here in the United States, uh, there are s- several states that do not allow them. I know my great state of Michigan and Florida, you, you have to have certain certificates and permits. So my best advice would be don't do it. And my second advice would be don't do it. And my third advice would be if you still are interested to do a lot of research on it and talk to experts. Uh, because I think the nocturnal thing would probably be the, that that's when they're up at nighttime. And unless you're a nocturnal right. person, you don't want to be bothered <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, no, uh, no, no. type deals. So unless you're a nocturnal person and like being up all night with a little hyper kitten bouncing around, um, yeah, I, I, it's it'd probably be frowned upon. Right. Uh, yeah, and they, yeah. they, I guess they they steal things too, uh, <laughs> and so like ferrets are known yeah. to some of the behavior. They basically they think any unsecured item is theirs, and so they'll, from their perspective, so they'll they'll take it, and so it's it's hard to have them out because they're like ripoff artists, and mm-hmm. so and and they also will eat like metal objects and things they shouldn't, yeah, yeah. So, so they can tend to have more cases of an internal. Uh, intestinal obstructions, yeah. which if isn't anybody who's ever had that with a dog or uh, it's, it's, no. it's, it's, it's bad news. Or it's yeah. very expensive to take. Yeah. Very expensive yeah. to take care of. But Chris, there's just no doubt that foxes in general have this long relationship with humans and not, not necessarily always the Phoenix Fox, but just foxes in general. I mean, uh, from folklore to cave paintings. In fact, Chris, researchers opened a grave in Jordan that was like over 16,000 years old to find the remains of a man and his pet fox. <laughs> this, this is 4,000 years before that's ever been was seen with Documented. humans and domestic, and domestic yeah. dogs. Yeah. Okay, okay. So they, it definitely goes way back. And then, of course, I think we've even talked on this podcast before about uh, the Russians that did the domestication of the Fox right. Project. Right. 
where they tamed the the silver variant of the red fox and basically domesticated after so many breeding. Uh, it's like fifty generations, I think, roughly. Yeah, after selectively breeding them and picking out the docile ones uh, for fifty generations, and they started to look like dogs, like yep. droopy ears and and curled tails and right. things like that. And and so there are there are domestic foxes out there, but obviously the, the fennec fox is not domesticated is not one of those and i think one of the coolest things to point out is like why we should care about them and why they're so cool is that foxes are one of the few mammals that have been able to adapt themselves to living with us in urban areas Mm -hmm. or suburban areas and in human environments because they're omnivores and very adaptable and crafty, right? Yeah. Everybody thinks of a fox as crafty right, and right. smart and super intelligent, nocturnal, so they can like sneak around at nighttime and find food waste or just do what they need to do. Uh, and they're super skittish, so they're they're just able to avoid detection and do what they need to do. And I just think it's really interesting of how adaptable they are. When we when we think about the fennec fox, the fact that it's evolved to live in some of the harshest climates in the world. Right. And I just think that's so neat. I mean, they're definitely a cool creature, all foxes. It was hard for us to pick. That's why we let our listeners vote. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to do them all. I want to do the Arctic. I, I mean, my goodness, the red fox. Oh, hey, goodness. We'll, we'll or the bat-eared one. fox. We'll have to do another one. We'll have to do another oh, one. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, oh, oh, yes. I'm in love. And so... So yeah, anyways, I think there's a lot of reasons to care about foxes in general. Uh, but but yes, the fennec fox is just too beautiful. Right. And if you haven't already looked at a picture of them and aren't and are uh, blown away by how adorable they are, uh, please stop your car and do yeah, that right you now. have to look at and them. And you'll definitely appreciate you'll appreciate the rest oh, of this podcast a lot more. Them. You have to see them before you you really dive into this. They are just too adorable, and foxes are just too amazing. I. And so these, you know, going to their natural history, the, the canids, I think, I don't know, we look at our own domestic dogs and just, you know, how much we love them. But the Canidae family, the species we cover from there, I just, I'm amazed. I'm amazed by them, the, the, the behaviors, things like that, and we'll get to it. Now, the foxes in the canid family are the genus Vulpus, Okay. So what I have to mention it here because I know I already know what I'm going to name this episode, the Fantastic Fennec Fox. The Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of my all-time favorite movies. It just so I remember you recommended that to me and I was like, "Oh, he's a cool dude." Like yeah. after you told me to watch that movie, I was like, yeah, "Oh yeah." I, I cool. love that. It's one of my <laughs> That's favorite a great movie, movies yeah. It just, you know, and he always like calls out some of the the species names because it's Mr. Fox. And uh yeah, so the the Vulpus is the the genus name. Now, this was interesting. There's only 12 true species of fox, which was which was kind of surprising. Well, what do they mean by true versus false? The I vulpus suppose. genus. So those are the true. Gotcha. Now, the other there's 25 that are that are they call foxes or they're fox like. They're like foxes. So okay. I, real quick, the 12. Here's the 12. So this is the the lineup that we're going to be having when we do Fox month or year, <laughs> sometimes the podcast. <laughs> so you have the Arctic Fox, the Bengal Fox, Blanford's Fox, Cape Fox, Corsic Fox, Fennec, the Kit Fox, Pale Fox, Rupel's Fox, Red Fox, Swift Fox, Tibetan Sand Fox. 
Okay, those are evolved from the genus Vulpes, the quote unquote true fox. But there's a- well, and Chris, I feel like I don't know barely any of I those. Know, I know that's why, like, we're in business for a long time, Angie. We, we we've got they got a few, you know, tens of thousands of species we can pick from. I know, and well, and I just feel bad because I want to know more about them. I just well, here you go. Yeah, it's, I guess that's our job. We we have a mission yeah, now to go research more yeah. about these guys. So the 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 scientific name for Phoenix fox is Vulpes zerda. So that's their their full name. Now, if you go back to if you have not heard the painted dog episode, I, shame on not shame on you. Just please go listen to it. Please go listen to it. <laughs> Chris, it's, like, it's like one of my favorites again. Learned so much. We covered some of this. Well, and we're going to have the painted dog researcher Great. here real soon. That interview is going to be amazing. Yeah, you want to go back and listen to? I'm going to go back and listen to the painted dog episode again. I just uh, too much. So the myocids, that's the one that gave rise to bears. The mustelids, our favorite, one of our favorites. And then the pinnipeds. And that evolved in North America about 35 million years ago. And so the canids were one of the more ancient carnivores. Now, about 8 million years ago is when they moved from North America into Asia. So the fennec fox's relative pretty much evolved in North America. And then it was about 8 million years ago when it started branching out into Asia. Took a few million years to get down to Africa. Now, the one thing I really kind of found interesting in fox evolution was this idea of microevolution. And we've talked a little bit about this. So macroevolution, here's the, the big generality of it. It covers more than one species. So like rise of the mammals, that's some macro evolution going on there, right? A large group, yeah. Yeah. Micro covers one species. So when we look at fox evolution per se, and they were talking about fennec fox, there's two rules that have been established in you know, 140 years ago in, in looking at evolution, when evolution was like really becoming the thing in the late 1800s or early 20th century. The first one is called Allen's rule. And that basically says animals in cold climates have shorter limbs, smaller extremities because Dr. Angie, it's cold. It's cold. Yeah. So less heat loss, right? You want to protect what mm-hmm. heat you have in warmer climates. And you don't, you don't want a lot of wind in your undercarriage. No. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to, <laughs> no, no. You don't want a little vortexes spinning no. up underneath you. No, no. You got to protect the, yeah, the extremities and things like that. But in, in warmer climates, you tend to be longer and larger extremities. So, Fennec Fox. Because you do want the air. Yeah, you want that. You do want the air circula- circulation in your undercarriage. Yes, you want your undercarriage to cool off because it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> So that, I just made up that term. Then, please, that's not a scientific term. I just think it's. I don't know where that. I think I used it with my kids one day. I don't know. Now Bergman's rule states animals in colder climates tend to be bigger. Okay, we're not talking extremities. We're just saying general size. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the idea is larger bodies conserve body heat better. Right, if you're small and skinny, okay, or you're m- more fat, yeah, or yeah, does yeah. that have anything to do? I with think it? so. Okay. Like you're going to freeze. You and so me and you in the cold and cold climate, you're going to freeze your butts off. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be nice. And that cold. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's yeah. why I had to move to Florida. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> it was my petite structure that brought me there. Wait, I'm serious. <laughs> serious. So it was working winters outside in Chicago, oh, shoveling camel poo. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I think I can shovel camel poo in Florida. Actually, here we go. The windy. <laughs> I still remember this. The windy city, not because of the wit, is what everybody thinks. But no, 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 no. Politics. Angie taught me that. That's early right. On. All right, Fennec Fox. So looking at these rules, so basically what fox evolution is. Basically, tens of thousands of years ago, most foxes had a common ancestor. Okay. Now, in the course of those thousands of years, this ancient fox spread throughout, you know, the world. Um, natural selection, adapted environment, all those things. So, looking at Allen's rules specifically, talking about extremities, ear length is one that they definitely can can see. So, the Arctic fox has the shortest ears. Okay, living in the Arctic. Cute little yes, nuggets. Mm-hmm. Where the fennec fox has the largest or longest. Okay. And they live in the hottest one. And then they said the swift fox also has long ears and it's in a semi-arid region, stuff like that. Okay. The rules also observed, remember we talked about that tail, that long tail? Fennec foxes mm-hmm. have a really long bushy tail. Okay. So larger extremities uh, compared to that. And then also Bergman's rule, talking about body size, uh, red fox is larger than the Arctic fox, and the small fennec fox is a great example of that rule there because it's the smallest of, of them. So the fennec fox, uh, you know, looking at that, it's, its closest relatives, the Blandford's fox and all the other canids. So, you know, they're in there in that family tree. That just kind of wraps up their evolution and them evolving in – the Sahara Desert. Now, Angie, I, we've covered the largest canid that bear, I think it was that bear dog, I don't remember, but can you guess the smallest canid ever? Because now I go big and small, so. I know, I like it. Um, it's not domestic, sorry. There's probably. Oh, I was going to say, I was ready with my chihuahua. <laughs> um, which I don't, let's see. Um... Smallest ever. Okay, not raccoon. You said not raccoon dog, which is another one we need to cover. I need to learn more about that creature. It's pretty easy. Is there like a dwarf Fennec something? Fox? <laughs> it's, oh, it's the smallest ever. That's it. You <laughs> trick question. You uh, yeah, that was it. Uh, the Fennec fox is the smallest canid. Good for ever. you. And now, if we go to domestic dogs, I think there's like a teacup poodle. Or teacup uh, chihuahua that's like the tiniest thing ever. Yeah. Oh, I mean, wow, there's some yeah. domestic breeds that are pretty small. But I was I was going for general species. Um, I see. I see. Fair enough. Now, fennec fox uh, lives about 10 years in the wild, up to 12 under human care. Not too bad for a little, little uh, predator. Uh, again, we talked about those large ears. Really helps dissipate heat. The cool thing about the ears, too, is, you know, really they use it to help hunt. So when they're they're trying to catch sound waves of, we'll talk about what they eat, but insects and rodents burrowing the sand. So those ears really help them a lot. So not only you know, does it help dissipate heat, but helps them find prey. I thought this was interesting. They, they said the because you're thinking during the day, and they, it, we'll get to behavior, how they survive the heat of the day. But they have that that thick fur, and I thought, oh my god, those things are going to be dying. But they say it actually helps them. 
it not only helps insulate at night, but it protects them from the hot air, which was, I thought, curious. Well, yeah. so here, this is an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of scientific data behind it, but when I was in college, I rescued a Siberian Husky from somebody that it, you know, couldn't take care of it, didn't want it, whatever, uh, Sinatra, my boy Sinatra. And I lived in Chicago for a long time with him and he loved it because we would run around in Chicago, Michigan, and all and, and all the cold weather. But then as he aged, I wanted in the summertime it actually gets hot in the Midwest. And so I wanted to shave him. And I talked to a couple different vets and they said that no, no, the long hair actually protects mm-hmm. him from the heat. So I didn't do it and I didn't do it. And then I finally went ahead and just did it anyways because it it helped defer mm-hmm. him a little bit because huskies are like most dogs, but even more so mm-hmm. big time shedders mm-hmm. in the springtime, right? They blow this under downy coat, uh, being a cold weather mm-hmm. dog. And so I still this day don't know what the right answer is. If you have a, a big bushy furry right. dog, if you should, my dad used to call it a summer dress. Do you give him, do you, you know, do you give him right. a summer dress or don't you, uh, with Sinatra, it seemed as he aged, it was a little bit better because he wasn't mm-hmm. blowing his coat as well as he used to. Uh, and so, but it does make sense. And I've definitely heard that logic a lot as far as some of the longer, bushier hair actually yeah. protecting. And of course too, whenever, if you do ever shave a dog, Oh, uh, you have to worry about sunburn right. sometimes right. and things like that. So there's definitely, there's pros and cons of course, to every story. And I, you and I being scientists, I would need some scientific proof, uh, which I don't know if that's out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I think yet. you do some like uh, internal body temperature or something readings and see, you know, how, how exactly, well or, mm-hmm. or even or panting right. behaviors yeah, or something. Yeah, but it does. You know, obviously, it does help them at night stay warm. We talked about those temperature ranges, and then also that tail. We talked about that tail being important. They wrap it around mm-hmm. their body to stay warm at night. So that does. Now this sure. was, this was interesting. Their feet are really hairy. They have hairy soles, which helps them grip on the sand and then also protects the hot surface, you know, running across that desert. Right. Well, we've been to the beach a few times here in Michigan and that sand gets hot midday. And I, my boys don't love to wear shoes. And so I always have to put their shoes on in the hot sand because they need to run across it. They don't have the big bushy finnick fox feet uh, to help protect them from the hot sand. And so instead they have Thomas the Train Spider-Man shoes or whatever it is. Uh, so yeah, they, they have these really extra furry feet. And, uh, and like, as you also mentioned, anybody who's ever run or walked in the sand barefoot, it's tough. Uh, I love to do it because it's good exercise. But having this f- extra fluffy furry paw helps give them traction as they're man- maneuvering right, through the desert. Right. So, yeah, that, that was funny. Uh, I yeah, just really, that's cool. Yeah, you wouldn't really, you wouldn't think that. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really, yeah. you wouldn't really think about that. So the female foxes are called vixens. The male foxes are called dogs or tods. Young are cubs or kits. I thought this was kind of cool. An adult, an adult fennec fox can jump up to two over two feet, or almost point seven meters. <laughs> it could actually. That's great. Yeah. Those small little they nuggets can also of jump love. A meter or almost three feet you know, just straight ahead. So they could jump straight up almost 2.3 feet. Mm-hmm. So it helps them hunt, you know, and catch prey. Now, of just course. really quickly, we little, not like Angie said earlier, really tough to do research on these little animals. They 
aren't precisely sure on what might prey on fennec foxes. Definitely humans are, are a major threat to them. They think eagles or owls, um, possibly jackals, hyenas, domestic dogs also may, may hunt and try to kill them. The, the fennec fox dens that they, they, they build or live in, they, they have quick escape tunnels and also their color, you know, helps them hide and evade, evade detection. So, you know, and then also obviously their hearing, their awesome hearing uh, helps them avoid predators if, if somebody's out looking around for them. So, so they're, they're pretty good on, on avoiding that. Now they call them oppor- opportunistic eaters or foragers, omnivores. So they consume almost anything, you know, rodents, lizards, birds, eggs, insects, all common things they eat. They are not picky. Mm-mm. No. Now this is what blew me away. And I didn't really, again, an adaptation to desert life. They don't drink. They, they can go their whole lives without drinking from a stream or from an oasis. That they get all their moisture from fruits, leaves, and roots. And also, you know, their diet, like insects and things like that. That provides them all the water they need. That's crazy. And they catch food it's too, an- by the way. So, you know, they can go back and eat and drink or whatever they need to. That's incredible. It just doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really even register when you think about you can go your whole lifetime and not drink water. I'm a big water drinker. And yeah, I guess my, well, my diet also doesn't come at this point consist of insects and yeah, (laughs) juicy things like that as well. It's also something to consider for somebody who thinks they might want a fennec fox as a pet Uh, because yeah, they kind of look like cats, but they're in the dog family, but there is no way that you can just feed them dog or cat food. Mm-hmm. At, it, they will wither away and die. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their diet, if they're when they're under human care, is actually very complex. They, it's about ninety percent ground chicken or rabbit meat, uh, and lots of insects per day, mm-hmm. including crickets and mealworms and grubs, really any type of bug. And then, of course, they have to have some vegetables and berries in their diet, up to 5% of it, and maybe some protein from egg or herring fish as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've taken care of a lot of small mammals, uh, insectivores, uh, omnivores, their diets. I mean, that's somebody's whole job is to prepare diets for these animals all day long because they're so complex. And that's a zoo that has money and veterinarian guidance, nutritional guidance, and wonderful keepers monitoring these animals every day. So for me alone, that's just way, would be way too much work. Right. So things like that, that I think a lot of people probably don't consider when they just see something that's super cute and fluffy, you know? I know, um, I know that is, it's a lot of management. It's a lot of management. And the other thing that I learned about fennec foxes as well is that foxes in general have something called the violet gland or the supracaudal gland. And it's located on their upper tail surface and it's, and it's found in foxes, wolves, dogs, European badgers. And it basically is a modified sweat gland or a sebaceous gland. Mm-hmm. And it's used to talk to each other and communicate through hormones and pheromones, a lot of scent marking. And it can also release a really strong odor, especially in foxes. Mm. And the violet gland in a fox can also secrete a volatile terpenes, terpenes, Anyways, a chemical that is an organic compound that is secreted by lots of plants to 
to deter herbivores and other insects from invading them. So it's stinky and very unpleasant. It does not smell like a flower. And of course, it's really important too, because there's some pheromones and hormones and things that go on uh, that is important for the animal to help, especially if you're trying to get them to breed for the animal to communicate with one another. But what's super interesting is foxes cannot be descented by removing this gland. Mm. Because I know in other species, that's sometimes what you would do. Yeah. Uh, And for whatever reason, scientists don't know uh, the secretions are fluorescent under ultraviolet light. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So, yeah. or maybe it wouldn't be. Maybe if you took a ultraviolet light to your no <laughs> to your <laughs> your pet fox's area, yeah, uh, yikes! Yeah. You'd see you'd see what's going on down there. Uh, anyway, so I just I I did not know that about this violet or supercaudal gland on the the head base of the tail. Hmm. And a lot of times you can tell because it's like a different color mm-hmm. if the dog's lighter or in the finnick fox mm-hmm. example. It's where that that dark patch is at the base of its tail. Right. Yeah. Canids. That 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 gland is like that anal gland is just stinky. It's just like oh. Well, and this, but this isn't dogs. their anal gland. Yeah. This is this is on top I, I, of the yeah, tail. Yeah. So it's another additional one. Yeah. I'm just saying. It's like, another one, right? Yeah. Oh, normal anal glands are. Oh my goodness. Canids can oh be stinky yeah. and just gross. I, I go back to cats. I don't know. <laughs> the cats are clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, until they barf all over your place. And True. it was Hair funny. I saw stuff. a meat. I saw a meme the other day it was two cats talking and it was, and the cat was like, Oh, excuse me, Susie. And, and so she walked away and she, she ralphed up a hairball on, <laughs> on the, on the rug. Like they were on a wooden floor surface. Yeah. And of course she had to excuse herself to go off the, like the wooden tile, yeah. normal floor. that would be easy to clean to go over to the rug or the couch. And anyways, I just thought that was <laughs> so such, true. such a cat thing to do because we have such little, uh, carpet, Carpeting or rugs mm-hmm. in our house, mm-hmm. but Phoenix every time they go to the carpet. has to find carpet. They do, they do. They're so funny. has to. Uh, so fennec foxes. Just to lead you into behavior, one of the things I found interesting was you know how they survive in this in this desert is most of the heat of the day they're underground in their burrow. They, they're not out foraging. Oh like yeah, you said, they're nocturnal, and their burrows are deep, extensive, up to thirty two feet long, three and a half feet deep. They, they go at base of hills or dunes where there might be some moisture in there. So it actually keeps the, the, the dens cooler in, in that 120 mm-hmm. plus or 50 degrees centigrade uh, day. So, again, very adapted, some cool behavior. Yeah. Well, and I found myself relating to some of the vixens. Yes. <laughs> a, that's a fun thing it to is. say. And B, because they actually use leaves to line the nesting chamber, oh, wow, okay. especially before yeah. they're about about to have their kits. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like I know with both my boys before I had them, I was like, oh, I've got to get their room ready. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think it's just busy work, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so it can definitely relate to those finnick foxes. But with that being said, too, quite different than general foxes. Finnick foxes are very, very social animals. They live together in family groups, which can contain up to 10 individuals and their kin based clans, which will include at least one breeding pair, a litter of pups, and maybe some of those pups, older siblings. Whereas other foxes that we'll hopefully cover here in the, in the podcast, in the the podcast, in the future, 
future podcasts, uh, future podcasts about foxes, yes, yes. Uh, we will cover, <laughs> uh, uh, we'll learn more about a normal fox is not very social. They live solitary lives unless they're breeding or, of course, raising their pups. So I thought that was really neat about fennec foxes. It definitely sets them apart from some of their other relatives. And a lot of what we know, Chris, is from observing their behavior under human care. Uh, and, of course, they're a fun species to watch because they are highly social. They enjoy the company of other foxes, and they are super playful. And what I also learned about the fennec fox, which I think is a metaphor for the world. Mm -hmm. This is good. Yeah, Put okay. your seatbelt on. Social rank in fennec fox is communicated primarily through play. <laughs> That's not kidding me. And they're very visual and very tactile with one another, but they use play to help communicate where they are in their social rank and their dominance. That's awesome. Which just made me think, I'm like, wow, if only like the president of the United States could, <laughs> yeah, instead, right. of, instead of tweeting, could maybe actually like play a game of golf with... No, like wrestle somebody some, or something. Yeah, some other world leaders. Like maybe that would be helpful. Play a or game something, of you know? We would lose. Yeah, we would, lose we would totally lose, we would a, lose lot. Quite a lot. No, I think it should stick to like, yeah, either like Uno. Let's play Uno. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. Go fish, perhaps. Yeah, go but fish. Even then, we'd probably I just, still lose. <laughs> probably, yes. Yeah, but if you just think of this, you know, this machismo dominant world of like, I'm the tough guy. And, and we see that a lot in animals. I know, I mean, horses, that's how they exert yeah. dominance by laying those ears back and pretending and raising a leg. And if they need to, putting out a kick. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just, I just really love the idea of this as far as using play as a way to communicate where you are and where you want to be. That's awesome. And I'm, that's not to say that they don't have other, that they would never fight or anything like that, but that's their main go-to. So they are just super cool little creatures, very gregarious. Uh, they have, and besides using play and visual aids as ways to communicate with one another, they also have a very vast repertoire of vocalizations. Mm -hmm. and, and in general, foxes will make up to 40 different sounds. From anywhere from a whine to a yelp to explosive calls to combative calls to growls to barks to chirp noises. So they have a language and I couldn't really find too much literature on how to decode the language of a fennec fox. But I need to do more digging because there's other fox species that are, I'm sure, better studied. Right. right. Uh, but it is really important for them to obviously communicate with each other from adults to their pups. And I would hypothesize that in the fennec fox, it is really important to, to understand the language of one another since they are so much more social than other, other species of fox. And Chris, what I also read about fox in general, so not the fennec fox, I don't think this has been explored necessarily in the fennec fox, but something I want to learn more about when we cover other species of fox, or just I want to learn more about in general, because mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm, so awesome, mm -hmm. the foxes actually utilize the Earth's magnetic field to help them hunt. And now we've previously talked on the podcast about the magnetic field with other species like birds and sharks and turtles. But the fox is 
kind of new and novel uh, in that they basically can see the Earth's magnetic field as what they call a ring of shadow on its eyes that darkens as it heads more towards the magnetic north. And when the shadow and the sound of the prey line up. And so researchers need to explore this more to understand exactly how they're utilizing it. Is it just for catching prey? Is it for uh, finding prey in general? Is it for migrating across the vast Sahara in order to get to prey? Uh, they don't really know. And so I need to do a little bit more yeah, digging that's, too because it's still blow. You know the thing, is, and then it makes me want to cover birds, like how do birds do it? And ah, uh, I mean, animals it just are blows so my mind. Deceptive, you know. And, and oh my goodness, with Greg, it's a story just came up into my mind. You just listen to the interview. Some of the the stuff these these painted dogs do, and I'll tell you, Angie, we can never call them African wild dogs again, ever, ever, because. That was given to them to make them seem like they were feral. And so when they slaughtered them and persecuted them, it was like, oh, they're just wild dogs. You know, they don't have any purpose. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we have to be careful. They ha- in our lexicon, it has to be African painted dogs, painted dogs, painted dogs. But you talk about that and it's just, and I know dogs are able to read body language really well, but you know, when like, you know, a dog comes up to you, I don't know, most people, it, it's either wagging his tail or it's like, stay away from that, that human, that human's dangerous. You know? Right. Of course. Yeah. They can perceive mm-hmm. so much more than, than we have any clue right now. I think, I don't know. Cool stuff though. That's amazing. Well, and things I want to learn a lot more about, I just as I, I was falling so much in love with the painted dog and wolves. I definitely want to cover more about foxes. I mean, they're crafty. Yeah. They're awesome. They are. And, they are. and there's still a lot to learn about them. I think is what this is showing us. Right, 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 right. right. All right, so how do these things reproduce? They're little, I'm guessing, three-month gestation, four-month? I don't know. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Oh, you're a pretty good guesser. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, 50 days. 50 days. So, oh, yeah, two months. Yeah, two. Yeah, not even two months. Yeah, 50 days is short. Mm-hmm, Holy mm-hmm, smokes, that's fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Imagine kicking but- out babies every 50 days. <laughs> like- well, wait for it. These guys don't do that. Okay, okay. And so, yeah, well, yeah that okay. is one of yeah, the reasons. They're, yeah, yeah. They're, not, they, yeah. Uh, they're not cats, mm-hmm, they're canids. So <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Yeah. They're not your backyard cat that your parents wouldn't spay or yeah. neuter because they didn't know any better back in the day. Yeah. Uh, mom. But <laughs> I, mom, dad, John and I talk about that all the time. And he's like, we always had kittens. I'm like, so did we. God, we were awful. And it's yeah, like, yeah. we didn't know any of their barn cats. Like, you always need more barn cats. Anyways, yeah. I have learned my generation's better now. We're doing better <laughs> yes. for our pets. Help spay right, and neuter right. your, your pets, right? Yeah. Um, but so once again, with the Fennec Fox, there's not a ton that we know about how they attract their mate and or defend their breeding rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think it's through social – I shouldn't say we. The really smart people that study Finnick boxes <laughs> think that it's <laughs> think that it's uh, through social position. Um, what is known is that the breeding season runs from January to February, and vixens will remain in estrus for only a few days. Right. right. So uh, it's probably similar to – dogs right mm-hmm. and what's super cool about phoenix foxes that i learned is that they're monogamous and mate for life oh wow okay there mm-hmm. we go and this breed mm-hmm. and this breeding pair 
will is what helps form the social structure of their family unit. Mm-hmm. And and then of course they'll have their own territory because they're a family unit. And this territory is bond, bounded by urine and piles of poo. And of course it's pretty rigorously defended from other other monogamous pairs and their pups. And as you and I were joking around with cats, fennec foxes have a really slow reproductive rate. They're the opposite of a cat. Mm-hmm. Vixens will only give birth once a year. Yeah. And so that's going to be a little different than some of the other species we've talked about in this family. And their litters are small too. Uh, only usually two to maybe four pups okay. that are born altricial with their eyes closed and they're, you know, they're blind and helpless, teeny tiny 50 grams. Tiny, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's really super small, tiny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, and the mother, the vixen will, will take care of them in the den for the first couple weeks on her nice little lined leafy <laughs> den bed that mm-hmm. she, she nested for them. And, They'll open their eyes after a couple of weeks, and at four weeks, the pups are starting to play in the den with each other. At five weeks, they'll extend out of the den to the outside a little bit. And the pups also nurse or suckle longer than a lot of other fox species. And so weaning doesn't occur until about three months of age. And the parents really guard over them very carefully, and they're very, very, very good fox parents. So the fennec fox is a good mama and a good father. They work together following the birth. Both mother and father um, have a what is considered a pro- prolonged rearing of the pups. And the dad, uh, the Todd, you said, yeah, right? Was it the Todd? Dog. Yeah, they call the male. Mm-hmm. The male brings food to the family and helps watch for danger and loves to play with the pups. Oh, gosh. So definitely a, a good yeah. Finnick daddy in my Finnick, Finnick Father's Day, yeah, right? Yeah. And they will, and both parents um, will very aggressively defend their young from um, other animals, of course, and help solidify the community structure. So they're independent when they're about six months or so, but they definitely don't become sexually mature until they're anywhere from six to nine months of age. And then I I found my animal. I want to come back as, you know, I'm going to talk to Julie. We're going to come back as Fennec Fox's next lifetime, because think about that. You're in an area on earth where there's very few humans. Your, your habitat is actually expanding, which isn't good for everybody, but you don't have a lot of pressure and you just, you have a loving mom and dad, you grow up, you just eat grubs and some insects and some rodents, live under, sleep during the day, run around at night, the beautiful stars. In your, in your leafy den. I, I, mm-hmm. I think I found my spirit animal. <laughs> like, I want to be a fennec <laughs> fox, you know. It's like, I know, when you look at them, I, I mean, I feel spirit animal too. They're just so darn cute. And you're yeah. cute. I know, too, I know, I so. know, the cutest thing ever, and it's like nothing really messes with you too much, you know? Uh, well, and, and if you need to exert your dominance, play? you just play, yeah, no. <laughs> right? This is my favorite animal ever. You're like a happy little, oh. just, yeah, no, yeah, they are very, very adorable. charming, very charming. I can definitely, can definitely see why they're a favorite at the zoos, uh, even, although I will say a lot of times when I have seen them at zoos that I go mm. during the day... And so being a nocturnal animal, 
there's not a right, ton of activity right, going yeah. on whenever I've watched, yeah. whenever I've, I've, I've been at the, um, at their right, exhibit. Right, right, so right. Oh, amazing. There is amazing. That. Right. And we, as you opened up earlier, Angie, I mean, overall least concern, we don't have, I looked, could not find numbers anywhere, but I couldn't yeah. find numbers anyways, which makes me a little bit nervous. Like, how do we know they're least know. concerned if well, they we were data numbers deficient on them, for a but- long time? So I think they've had some. And basically, Correct. what they what they wrote is the the population. And I'll just quote IUCN: the population is assumed to be adequate based on the observations that the fennec is still commonly trapped and sold commercially in North Africa, which isn't good, but it is. Uh, and then they did two field studies in 2010, 2015, and they. They saw them all over the place. Uh, they see them in southern Morocco. So they see them, obviously, like we, we've said in the past, IUCNs, one organization that has very limited budget, very limited woman and manpower. So, you know, they, they, they just have to go on what they, what they, the data they have. And so, like Angie said, how do we sure. know? We don't know. We don't know. But we're assuming they're doing okay, you know, just based on the things that, mm-hmm. that we saw. Now, but I think it's a good time to point out too that there are several fox species that are endangered. Right, right. There are, there are, and it's near me is one that we were kind of looking at, and that is the off the cal. Okay, I'll set this up. So one of the species there, there the two species of fox that aren't doing too well. There's the Darwin's fox, and this is uh, on an island off Chile. And they only think there's about 70 of them left. We particularly looked at the island fox, which is off the California coast here for me, where I'm at right now. Just In off- your backyard, yeah. my friend. Yeah. You know, I was just at the uh, the beach the other day, uh, walking on the beach and you can see Catalina Island, where some of these foxes live. And there's six different species, and they all have their own island off the California uh, coast. So they got hit by distemper, which is a ca- canid disease. And that really affected, you know, the Catalina Island where we go to to holiday and stuff. It's just a quick boat right away. But now there, there has been some, California has worked with them. They have recovered because I mean, they were down to 15 individuals on the San Miguel Island Fox. You know, they were, they were were down to critical numbers. Santa Cruz Island Fox was 80 individuals. Santa Catalina Island Fox was down to 103. So 99% decline. But Catalina Island Conservancy, one of the, the nature conservancy, which we're going to talk about here in a second, has actually helped go get rid of feral pigs and goats, some of the things that were affecting them, vaccinating, things like that. So they're happy to report that for the subspecies, they're back in the hundreds. The Santa Cruz and Santa Catalina foxes, they're around 13 to 1,500 individuals. So they've recovered. So there's a conservation plan, action plan in place, and these animals are recovering. So again, a good conservation success story, right? So there we go. And so, yeah, Chris, this week I want to highlight as our organization of the week, the Nature Conservancy. They are incredible. They work locally there with you in California. Mm -hmm. They are all throughout North America, they're international in Africa, Europe, India. 
It's just a great organization. And you can, of course, find them at www.nature.org or on Facebook. And you can read more, too, about the Santa Cruz Island Fox and the restoration projects they have successfully done there. It is so nice to hear a hopeful story about how when we put aside politics and we use resources and experts and work together of what can happen. And this island fox, probably not quite as cute as a Finnick fox, (laughs) but a close second, a close second with their whiskers. Oh my goodness. And dark eyes. I don't know, Chris, it might be cuter. Now I'm just confusing myself. So thank you, Nature Conservancy. Please check them out. They have a million different amazing programs. Or if you're located near Chris in Southern California, maybe you guys can go Island Fox viewing and help support help support that restoration project. So yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's a feel good story. Yeah. The Phoenix Fox, it's like Phoenix Fox, Mr. Fox feel good Friday. It's a Friday that we're actually recording. Yeah, this. I know. I know. So I know. this has been a fun one. It's this been has a been a really day. fun it's one. It's been a great day and they beautiful animal. It just the, what, the last tip I'm just going to leave you with uh, before we sign off is one of the things I've been thinking about Angie, you know, okay. Not ready to go vegetarian, you know, not, not totally for me or vegan. Um, but I know we've said this before and I'm trying to think, you know, how do we help climate, you know, change? And one of the things is I think like you and I have said, we need to commit to a meat free diet one or two days a week. And I've let it slipped a little bit in the last few weeks, especially since we've been traveling and not even thinking about it. But, right. you know, again, I just want to remind people, you know, if we can just skip meat once a week and eat a plant-based diet, you know, eat, eat some, some tofu or whatever, that's going to help. There's so many good options out there. Yeah, it's going to help. So many good options, yeah. So roughly mm-hmm. some of the data I found, it, it, okay, it takes 750 liters of water to produce one kilogram of wheat. It takes 100,000 liters of water to produce one kilogram of beef. Huge Yikes. difference. That's a huge difference. Yeah. So ag, you know, buy local, plant your own garden. We're going to be building on this again uh, throughout the ones uh, as we go you know, uh, conservation tips, but buy local, buy organic and, you know, try to do a meat-free diet once or twice a week. That's make, that's a huge impact, huge impact on the environment. If we all do it together, we're all conservation heroes. So, Oh yeah. I'm definitely down with meatless Monday. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I like meat. I do. I'm sorry. I, I, I just can't eliminate it completely from my diet, but I easily can skip it once a week. You know, once oh, a week's easy. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, so please send this to a friend. Please, please send him a picture of the Fennec Fox and say, listen to this (laughs) podcast. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And subscribe. (laughs) So thank you. We love you. And rate and review. Uh, We we have a new review on iTunes. So, And yeah, so I have to give a big shout out to some of our recent reviewers. Thank you, thank you. We're not quite to 100. So help us out. But thanks to Animal Fun and Conservation. Uh, who rated us and said we we're amazing and want us to bring Xander back. Okay. Another okay. one is listening mind said that we're fun and very informative. And we sometimes do obscure species, which they like and mm-hmm. I completely ignore. I'm here. It's Quinn. Hi Quinn. We are definitely going to, oh, okay, we're Quinn. definitely going to do squirrels. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Yes, we and are. Thank you. Yes. Quinn. And Alex two, two, two 
two, I think three twos, uh, also loves to listen to us when he drives or she. So yeah. Anyways, uh, thank you. That's, that's what we need more of. That's going to help boost our ratings and our positioning and make us become the number one animal conservation podcast. I mean, I think we already are, but just nobody knows about us. (laughs) I know. Well, when you're talking, I mean, we have we have tens of thousands of listeners. We want millions right. of listeners. That's well, that's our goal. Yeah, because we want to change yes. the world, you know. And I mean, yeah, you know, that's our pie in the sky dream. But I know we can get to hundreds of thousands that's of listeners in a podcast exactly in, in five Absolutely. years, you know. And we'll get there, and we'll get there with the help of well, our listeners, you know, and the people that from with us from the beginning. And yeah, just let's keep the conversation growing. Let's keep challenging ourselves, challenging our friends, our mm-hmm. families, getting the world word out there voting with our dollar challenging our politicians mm-hmm. making waves for future generations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of animals and people yep yep yeah and that's the it's for quinn it's for xander it's for rourke wyatt you know uh little zacky you know they're the future and that's why we do this so anyways thank you for listening we love you and we'll be back next week with a special species that's right oh yeah it's gonna be a good one this has been a great one too though thank you for listening listen learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com